at least you're the lawyer that can do it. We got to hire out for all that stuff. So we're just like shelling out uh, checks every yeah, week. Absolutely. <laughs> Find somebody that'll take bourbon and trade and, you know. Yeah. We got to work on that one. Yeah. You open to that? <laughs> <laughs> we can we talk. <laughs> yeah. You can choose whatever's on the floor over here. <laughs> <laughs> That's opened. That's already opened. <laughs> This is Bourbon Pursuit, the official podcast of bourbon, bringing to you the best in news, reviews, and interviews with people making the bourbon whiskey industry happen. And I'm one of your hosts, Kenny Coleman. Well, what goes hand in hand with bourbon? Now, you might be thinking cigars, but you're wrong. It's law and taxes. And over the past few years, we have seen incredible changes to Kentucky's bourbon laws when it comes to vintage spirits, the three-tier system, and the bourbon barrel tax finally being removed. And all of these were done in an effort to make Kentucky's signature industry thrive. And there's been one person behind the scenes of all this, and that's Chad McCoy. Chad is a former Kentucky state representative, and he took care of Bardstown, and he wanted to see change happen. He dives into how he got into politics, and he gives us an idea of really how many lobbyists are there vying for attention. It's a fantastic episode that covers the entire political landscape and how it's really hard to make everyone from producers, distributors, and consumers equally happy. But with that, enjoy this week's episode. And now here's Fred Minnick with Above the Char. I'm Fred Minnick, and this is Above the Char. This week's idea comes from Eric Weller, who writes me on fredminnick.com. Kenny and Ryan talked about this recently. I'll ask, is there a bottled and bond rye? Is this a classification? And no, I will not have all the Weller squirreled away. Thank you. By the way, Eric and I have communicated before, so that's where that where that little inside joke comes from. Of course, his last name is Weller, and uh, I'm like, hey, are you related to Weller? You know. At any rate, so bottled and bond is actually a classification that goes all the way back to 1897. Grover Cleveland signed it as an official congressional act so it's it was passed in 1897 by congress and there it was one of our country's very first uh consumer protection legislation acts i think there's an argument that can be made and i've said it before outright that it is the first consumer protection legislation act and basically it is it was created to thwart a lot of the unsavory additives going into bourbon in the 1880s and 1890s, they were adding things like sulfuric acid and uh, kerosene and tobacco spit. And there was not really a business practice for distillers to thrive at bottling their own their own whiskey. The practice was they would sell barrels to wholesalers and rectifiers, and they would bottle it, and thereby they would have the rights to do whatever they wanted with it. And there, while there were distillers who bottled their own stuff, the business model was just not there. It was not well known. And the doctors, distillers, and druggists were all lobbying uh, Congress for this special act that basically gave you a government guarantee that nobody messed with your whiskey. Now, there's a lot more to it. Uh, you can read one of my stories about Bottled and Bond. Uh, that'll be in the show notes. But uh, essentially, Bottled and Bond can be applied to every single spirits category, including vodka. So vodka, which is unaged, uh, in order to have a bottled and bond vodka, you have to layer the inside of the barrel with paraffin wax. So the vodka actually never touches the barrel. And you can have, you know, you can have bottled and bond rum, bottled and bond brandy, you know, any kind of like American spirit uh, made here that allows the use of a barrel is allowed to have it. So yeah, Crazy, but it can apply to everything to include rye. Now, if you see a bottle of bond rye out there, there is a law in rye that allows them to add additives. You can have uh, up to like 2% of additives in rye if you do not see the word straight on there, and bottled bond would protect you from those additives. So it's a powerful, it's a powerful label that goes back a long ways. It's very important to our country's history from a spirits perspective. But great question, Mr. Weller. Thank you for reaching out on fredminnick.com. If you would like to be like Eric, hit me up on fredminnick.com, click the contact button, and if I like the question, I'll read it on the air. Until next week, cheers.
And they're off for another Get 270 2020 Unicorn Raffle. Your $20 ticket gives you not one, but two chances to win from our lineup of 20 Woodford Reserve treasures, including the grand prize, the rarest unicorn yet, the Woodford Reserve Kentucky Derby 150 Baccarat Edition. Only 150 bottles were made and is just like the one the Derby winning owner receives. Quit horsing around and get your $20 tickets now at Give270.org. Charitable Gaming License ORG 0002703. From their bar to yours, Chad and Sarah of the popular YouTube channel It's Bourbon Night bring you their favorite at-home old-fashioned mix with the new Elemental Elixir's Golden Hour Syrup. It's a custom-made syrup with notes of bold black tea, warm spices, and orange zest. All you need is your favorite whiskey and ice. No bitters needed. One bottle makes 16 drinks, so that's only $1 cocktail before you add your own whiskey. They can also be enjoyed in other cocktails or spirits, mocktails, coffee, tea, and anything you can think of. It's crafted locally in Lexington, Kentucky, and you can get your bottle now at whiskeyambitions.com. Ed Bly and Rising Tide Spirits are back again with a new release of Old Stubborn Bourbon. And this release of Old Stubborn is a premium hand marriage of 10, 11, and 12-year cask drink, barely filtered pot still bourbon. It comes in at a staggering 123.8 proof. And the flavoring grain for this one, which the last one was weeded, but this time it's now rye. Rich, sweet, and bold with a long finish that's sure to be another eye-opener. You can order online at Sealbox or TheBourbonConcierge.com, and you can even purchase in person at Revival Vintage Spirits, and even now with very few select stores in Kentucky. You can get it now while you can, but be sure to do it because it's not going to last long. Welcome, everybody. We're back with another episode of Bourbon Pursuit the official podcast of bourbon. Kenny and Ryan here today. Say hi, Ryan. Hello, friends. Yeah. Well, you'll get his signature toodles on the sign off a little bit later. Yeah. But I'm, I'm too excited right now. I've been waiting for the today for a long, long time because this is a topic that just burns my soul. It burns, it just, <laughs> is it burn your soul or is it, is it have a burning desire? Burning desire, I guess. Maybe. Yeah. Uh, there, there's, you know, anytime this topic comes up and we'll get into it, but it's like, it just, it does. I get passionate about it and like energized and you like get really passionate or and frustrated. Both frustrated, <laughs> which leads to passion, which leads to frustration and then depression. And so there's a lot of emotions that that's go the, involved when the uh, seven stages yeah. of, of grief. Right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. So. so if anybody doesn't know, we're going to be talking about bourbon law. Like that is really what it comes down to. And, and our guest has been well, one, and taxation too. and taxation. And it is one and of these the depression. <laughs> Just just writing checks every day. But this is honestly, this is one of those topics that it is. It's super interesting to come on and, and bring our guest on just because of the role that he has played. It's been a significant contribution into yeah. how things have changed, how it's progressed. And I'm just really excited to kind of yeah. dig into this. And we have we have a whole presentation and and print out PowerPoint in front of us. slides. Yeah, yeah. We can. so if you need to go to sleep, we will do that. <laughs> yeah. And we'll start on... So turn this on and we'll, you, know, you have trouble sleeping at and, night. Yeah, I already like the first page. It's like the history of alcohol distribution and we can just talk about what is wrong with distribution today. Oh, gosh. I feel like we're going to have to do like a 10-part series. <laughs> you know, there's just so much to get into, but... Yeah, uh, we got a bourbon Hall of Famer, new inductee. He's been yes. so instrumental to the industry, and uh, so I'm excited to, to get to sit down, and talk to him, and and let it, the guest kind of know what's going on behind the scenes and the legislative side of the spirits industry. For sure. Well, let's go ahead and introduce him. As Ryan had mentioned, he is a newly inductee to the Bourbon Hall of Fame. He is also a former Kentucky State Representative. Now he says he's just a lawyer hanging out in Bardstown. <laughs> but welcome to the show, Chad McCoy. Thank you. Great to be here, guys. Really appreciate it. Yeah. yeah. So before we dive into yeah. taxation and laws and all that sort of stuff, kind of talk about your background. Where did you grow up? How did you get into politics and what ultimately led you to the spearheading a lot of stuff? Yeah, in the ab side? absolutely. So uh, grew up in eastern Kentucky. Carter County didn't have a lot of alcohol out there other than the bootleggers. And I can tell you fun stories of being 16, pulling into the trailer that had a drive through window. The bootlegger would lean out. What's your name? Chad. Who's your dad? Dusty. Who's his dad? Woody. What do you want? And they sold, they sold Kessler's half pints 
and uh, Stroh's party packs. Oh boy, those, those were your options. Kessler <laughs> smooth like as my, silk. Sounds what like it my, says on the bottle. My fraternity parties. <laughs> yeah, I think that's what it was. We didn't have enough money to buy Bud Light or Miller Light. <laughs> Uh, ended up, uh, you know, becoming a lawyer, kind of, uh, my wife's a physician, so I had to follow her around the country. We traveled around for a bit, lived out West and, um, was she from Eastern Kentucky too? Or? Richmond, Virginia. Oh, okay. Yeah. Met her in college at Virginia tech. And, and, um, ultimately we decided to raise our kids, wanted to come back to a small town. Bardstown was a perfect fit. How was that on your radar to go to, uh, you know, actually one of my best friends from law school was living there, oh, okay. uh, and, and had a law firm. And so we just kind of came and started while we were in Lexington, I was working at a big firm. I would come down and hang out in Bardstown, you know, the Talbot before it burned oh, yeah. down. They had that beautiful bourbon bar up in the front corner. Now it's the the club tea, you know, ladies night. Right. <laughs> at the tavern. <laughs> so it, it was just, uh, it was been such a natural fit. And I actually got asked to be in politics. Never was on my radar. I'm still one of those guys that people will tell me all the time, oh, don't you remember in the such and such administration? I'm like, no, who was that? And yeah. like, it was your governor. I'm like, oh, I, I don't no know. Idea. Sorry. Yeah. First time I was ever in the Capitol was the day they swore me in. So how'd you get asked? Like, was it just a, a friend of a friend that said, you know, I think I was, you'd be I a was, good fit for something? Yeah. I was writing uh, articles in the paper. I had like this monthly column in for the, the paper. standard. Yeah. Oh, for the standard. And, and actually some folks uh, came and said, hey, we think ultimately you should do this. And um, the the plan was always I was going to run against Dave Floyd, yeah. who was a great guy, and I like Dave, just as a way to get my name out. And then maybe the next year he wouldn't run, and I would, I would you know, ha- have my name out there. And it was an unfortunate situation. He had a family medical issue, and he had to pull out of the race. So next thing you know, I'm... You're the I'm, default. I'm the default, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And I had a contested oh, sure. real yeah, yeah, right. uh, election, but the primary ended up being uncontested. So, and and wow, what a fun job! So, what were you tapped for? What was the what was the initial goal that they wanted to bring you in for? I, you know, I think just I don't know that there was a goal, um, and it wasn't even you know, it was nobody in the bourbon industry or anything like that. It was actually people in politics uh, in D.C. and Frankfurt that were like always looking for who's going to be next. You know. Yeah. Um, and, and I was in the, like I said, I was writing for the paper and I was always kind of giving Republicans hell about things where I think they get out of, get out of what I consider a Republican to be. So, um, I don't know, it, it, it just serendipitous and uh, cool thing. I recommend everybody run and do it. It's, it's absolutely not. It's a blast. It's absolutely <laughs> yeah. a blast. So you show up day one and I mean, are you just like, what the hell do I do? <laughs> yeah, like, I like mean, totally. Like, okay, now what? Yeah, <laughs> They're what, like, what? sit there, your name's on the thing. And then they start, you know, parliamentary procedure is so weird the the way people make motions and stand up and all this stuff and you don't get taught that they hand you this giant book this mason's manual and you just kind of learn on the fly uh, but it, you know I think being a lawyer helped because I'm able to read law a little bit and I tell people all the time we don't have enough lawyers up there my very first bill I looked at it, it, you could tell they meant to say A B and C and but they had A was something licensed and C was something licensed. They just assumed that B was also licensed, but it didn't say that. And I'm like, guys, no, this means, and, and it was just, again, having that skill set, you see things that I think other folks might not catch on to. So. Causing havoc on day one. Yeah, right. Yeah. It was, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, who's this guy? Why do we I bring him in? I'm, I'm amazed that y'all can read that stuff all day, every day. Like when our attorneys send us, I'm like, well, I don't, I, I, Kenny, you can read that. I, I just like, <laughs> I, 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 you know, there with, uh, you know, all these like old English <laughs> right, spills. Right, I'm right. like, what the hell is going on here? And hopefully we get, <laughs> you know, lawyers get away from that. But I think it's still... So many of those words end up hanging around and they just don't need to be. Yeah. yeah. All right. So you get sworn in or is sworn in the right thing? Is that, is that? Yeah. Yeah. So okay. have you ever seen the constitutional oath of Kentucky? I guess not. No. Oh, it's awesome. You guys need to look it up because lawyers have to do it. So I'd already taken the oath when I got sworn in to be an attorney. We have to take it again as a, as a representative, but we have to swear that we've not ever dueled carried a second in a duel and promise we won't duel so do not challenge me because i cannot accept it all right I've, just, I've already sworn all these oaths i'm not ever allowed to duel i'm gonna do that to every lawyer i meet now They're like i challenge you i challenge you <laughs> that's hilarious it really is funny all right so so you go in but i'm guessing bourbon law wasn't at the top of the the agenda for what you needed to do at what point did things start 
switching over where bourbon became more of a, a focus for you? You know, so I, I was Nelson County's representative. So my the way I viewed the job was I have 45,000 people that I represent that live in Nelson County. What can I do to help my town? And for anybody that doesn't know, Bardstown is Nelson County. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, bourbon Capital of the World trademark. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah, so, so it wasn't long, honestly, um, until some lobbyists started approaching me to see where I was on some of these issues. And actually, my very first year up there, we did the Vintage Spirits Bill. And they asked me if I would be willing to carry it. And like an idiot, I'm like, oh, yeah, that sounds like a good bill. Not- <laughs> was this like 2012, 2013? No, so I was up there for six years. So this was 17. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, well, and, I think and, 17, yeah. And I wasn't thinking about the three-tier system. So yeah, the the bourbon manufacturers are all for this. And, and here's what you learn about Frankfurt. If you say, I like puppies, you just unwittingly also said you hate cats. <laughs> and even though you weren't thinking that way, everybody who likes cats now hates you. And so when I said, oh, I'm all for the Vintage Spirits Bill, I'll put my name on it. I'll be the sponsor of it. I literally got tracked down, my car boxed in by retailers in my town saying, what in the hell are you doing? You're going to put us out of business. And so learning that, that was trial by fire right there. That first day was just kind of like, okay, whose team are you on? You a retailer, a distributor, yeah. or a manufacturer? And That's the messy side of the politics, right? It really is, yeah. And, and I hated it that way because I'm, I'm for everybody. You know what I mean? Like right. I'm, I'm for the industry. I want us all to make money and sell this product and bring in tourism and do all those things that will grow yeah. my, my area. Um, that's, that's what's fascinating about policies is like, it, and I don't think people grasp that, that there's always like unintended consequences, you know, to everything. And people don't think that they just have like, you know, if you do this, then this will happen. But they don't think about like, right. You know, all the other things that happen. But who presented that vintage bill? You said lobbyist or was it industry well, so, folks? Or? So, it, yeah, the, the KDA ultimately was the one with the idea. And the way I think a lot of the bourbon bills work, the members of the KDA, they have a um a law group, I think they get together and here's some problems we're having as industry members. I wish we could change this or change that. They'll start working with somebody like me once they get a friend up there. All right, let's start drafting it and running it by everybody and seeing what those unintended consequences are. And, and there's that natural tension between the manufacturers, the distributors, and the retailers. And it's interesting because sometimes two of them are together. You know, and it might be the distributors and the manufacturers against the retailers or vice versa. And it's just you just never know where people are going to come out. And one thing you learn in Frankfurt day one, if you do X, whatever it is, the sky is falling. If you don't do X, the sky is. falling. <laughs> and so pretty soon you just learn to sort of tune that out and really start to look at. All right. Where, where's the policy here? What's the economics going to do? Me being a Republican, I'm very free market. I, you know, I hate some of our three-tier laws that mandate that we use the three-tier in the way we do. The three-tier exists in every everything. The t-shirts we're all wearing today, those were made by a manufacturer, distributed by a distributor to a retailer, and we bought them from a retailer. That system will always exist. It's just we force it to exist here. To me, that is very un-American. <laughs> you know, yeah. If you make something, you ought to be able to sell it and sell it how you want. And you'll choose to use a distributor, I'm sure. Yeah, their distributors will always play a role. And I think that's a thing that we have been advocates of challenging the three-tier system for a while. And I think that's one of the things is that distributors will always play a role because you can only do so much unless you build some crazy massive sales force that's going to go out and do it on distributors half. That's not going to happen. Like so logistically, you logistically, know, brands don't want to get into trucking companies, yeah, trucking companies right. to get, you know, bottles into the stores and absolutely, whatnot or in the customer's not. hands. So right. there's always going to be a role, but. Yeah, they seem to think not. And what was frustrating, though, is is when folks come to the Capitol and then they want to try to justify. And so we would hear things like, oh, the distributors play. Uh, and, and look, I'm going to be very clear. I love the distributors. I have no problem with the distributors. They, they, they play a great role. But they would come and say things like, oh, we are the ones that make sure the product is unadulterated. We are the ones who <laughs> okay. guarantee. And I'm like, wait a minute, you're <laughs> testing it where? Because yeah. we all know it's bottled before it leaves and it never is opened, you know, until it gets to a retailer. So just some of the things that, that were used as justification to me, they just didn't fly. And then later I find out, like on direct shipping, oh, it's because the distributors nationwide already have their own 
nationwide group. It was Grizzly at the time or whatever it was. Grizzly. 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 Yeah, Grizzly. Yeah. yeah. Nationwide. They're the ones doing it. So, of course, they don't want anybody else to be direct shipping because they were already doing direct shipping. They just were doing it from a different part of the three-tier system. And, you know, generally when you look behind law and who's against it, look for pockets. Where's the, where's the money going? Where's the money flowing? That's what ultimately gets people upset about things. Yeah. So when you talk about the lobbyist side of things, I mean, I've heard that distributors have their own lobbyists and they will go to bat and they will approach you for a lot of different things. I mean, is that, is that something that happened pretty consistently or commonly? Daily. Okay. So the retailers have their own lobbyist, the distributors have their own lobbyist, and the manufacturers have their own lobbyist. And that's not just the bourbon industry. That's, and the manufacturers, I mean, I'm assuming that's just considered, that's just like the KDA for us. For okay. So people. the KDA is an association. That association then has lobbyists. Okay. Now, there are some distillers in our state who are not in the KDA. They have a separate lobbyist. And same like at the retail. So there's the retail federation that similar to the KDA, it's a retail group. They have a lobbyist, but then you also have a lobbyist that represents some of the just specific liquor stores. And then back in the day, I guess I can say all this, Jonathan Blue, who had Liquor Barn at the time, he had his own lobbyist, you know, because sometimes what he wanted to do might not be what the mom and pop liquor store wanted to do. So generally with you, but maybe I want this little tweak. And so what's, how do they, how does a lobbyist engage with you? Is it like, Hey, let me, uh, let's, let's go out to lunch. Well, let's talk about something. No, like so, how, you know, Kentucky, it? Kentucky's, uh, we were all too really young probably to remember this, but back in the nineties, we had this thing called Bop Trot in Kentucky. Uh, Bob truck? Bop Trot. Oh, Bob Trot. Okay. Yeah. And, and it was a federal sting operation where legislators in Kentucky were on the take. Like I, the stories I hear are you could go to any bar in Frankfurt. And the lobbyists would have credit cards behind the bar. And as a representative, I could have just gone in and been like, yeah, I want a cheeseburger and give me a bottle of that Willet over there and, you know, walk on out the door with it and, and just put it on a card. So we now have a no cup of coffee rule. I, as a, as a representative, I can't take a cup of coffee, not even a cup of coffee from anybody. There is absolutely no, let's go to lunch. If there is, I pay for it, mm. you know? Um, so what would the way it would work with me is I would take a meeting with anybody. That was always my rule. I don't care if you're hundred percent against me on an issue. I'm happy to listen to you and hear it out. So they would just get on my, my schedule. So every day in Frankfurt, every 15 minutes, I had a new person coming in, usually a lobbyist, usually with either their client or one of my constituents. That's one of the things they love to do is meet the person. Yeah. yeah and this let's, is, let's this see, is somebody let, from your yeah, town. Yeah, Look them yeah, in the yeah. face and tell them you don't like that. idea. <laughs> And, you know, lobbyists get a bad rap, right? Like the reality is we've got to have lobbyists. Sure. Uh, even at the federal level, every two years, we have the potential to flip over and have a whole new group of representatives. Yeah. You walk in the door and you know what the hell's going on, you know? And, oh, I've got this great idea for a bill. Yeah, we did that the last four years and it failed. You don't <laughs> want to touch it. Sure. Only a lobbyist can can overlap there and have that institutional knowledge to kind of help you. with. What I guess people have this vision that, you know, lobbyists come there and like, pad your pockets, you know, take it to the country club or fly here or like, here's this money under the table, you know, this and that. And that's kind of like the, I guess the story that's like, you know, they see house of cards or something, you know, like that. And that's kind of like, so how does a lobbyist influence your decisions? You know, is it like the squeaky wheel gets to grease? Like, like I'm tired of hearing from him or is it like, (laughs) because you go and add a, a, well, you just have like section four over here. We'll just go ahead and add it for them in this bill. Yeah, Sometimes that's right. And and sometimes there's a lot of give and take. And, and interestingly, you know, let's say we have three alcohol bills going on. Okay. I'll do that little tweak that you wanted, but I want your, you and all of your people not to go neutral. I want you to actively support this bill. I want to be able to tell everybody, oh, the retail federation's on board, the distributors are on board, the, you know, and, and, and give me that kind of support. So that was one way you would do it. A lot of it is just literally sitting down and hearing them out. Hey, I know what you're trying to do, but I want to make sure you understand the impact this is going to have on this segment, those unintended consequences yeah. that you mentioned, Ryan. So, but a lot of times that's what they're paid to do. I mean, they're an advocate, right? And so it's good. This is where I think having lawyers there helped so that I can push back and be like, no, hold on a minute, you know, da, 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 da. So sometimes the lobbyist that's like supporting me would give me talking points to help fight those lobbyists, you know, and ultimately it's all about how many votes can you get? 
Yeah. 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 You know, we got to get 51 votes to get this thing across. So, well, I think we should dive into some yeah. stuff that you've done. I, and you, you'd mentioned the, the vintage spirits law. I think that's a good one to kind of talk about because for the longest time, Washington, D.C., and of course, notably Jack Rose, has been probably the one that's kind of put vintage spirits on the map for a lot of people. You go to D.C., it's a must-go-to spot. You get to try hundreds of not, I don't know, a well, thousand. You can, if you can afford it, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but, right. I mean, yeah but it's it was one of those things that I believe the KDA thought that said, we should be able to do something like this, too. We should be able to provide, if this is, if this is bourbon country, we should be able to provide an experience like that that you could also do and somewhere else. So right. kind of talk about how the, a little bit more about how the vintage spirits law, like how it became and, and sort of like that progression. In yeah, too. absolutely. And, and you use the exact example that we used on the floor. How can we be the bourbon capital of the world? And yet I got to go to Chicago or DC to experience a flight of whatever over the last 20 years or something. And, and, you know, Ryan, you grew up in Nelson County. A lot of folks work in the distilleries and back in the day, you were able to take home, I think, like a case a month right. or something. Yeah. So, well, even just as soon as like 2010, you know, <laughs> people had, un, you know, at Heaven Hill, they had, had unlimited liquor allowances. They could go and, right. you know, just if they had a wedding, they're like, go take a case, you know, this and that. Yeah. And so there's a ton of people, just using Bardstown as an example, we have a ton of people who in their basement probably have liquor collections that are worth ungodly amounts of money that nobody even thinks about because they're gathering dust in the corner. It was a way to try to bring those bottles to the market. And then you've got the concern of, okay, but wait a minute. Why does an empty Pappy bottle sell on YouTube or on eBay for $1,000? Because of counterfeiters, right? So how are we going to figure out a way to allow a real one to come out, but not a counterfeit one? So it's at the time we were doing that bill, that was the big battle, right? Like the retailers and the distributors want to make sure that we're not just uh, just opening the door for fraud. Yeah, I'm sure it's a huge concern. For oh yeah, I mean, in, in a, you know, if you look in the wine world, there's you'll see millions of dollars of fraudulent wine all the there's, time. It's, it's something like there's a bust every month of right. just something crazy. And so that was that was the real challenge. And fortunately, I think people understood we we can't not do something because of criminals. At the end of the day, somebody might be a criminal. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't all at least try to have a law, have a regulation to allow those of us who aren't criminals, you know, to move forward and follow it. Yeah. So, I mean, I see it in the, the shoe game. I mean, there's there's people that, yeah, that you can you can go and you can take your old Air Max ones or your Jordans or whatever it is and take it to a, basically a shoe retailer. They And it's like a used car lot, right? They, they want to buy it and they'll go ahead and turn it around. But there's all kinds of fakes out there in the shoe game. So you've got to have somebody that knows what they're looking for and right. say, no, you either I'm going to trash this or you, I'm going to call the cops or whatever, whatever it is. So how, how did, did you say like, well, we need to leave this up to the retailers to be the ones that figure out how do they bring in something that they know is authentic or anything like that too? Well, in, in, so what we decided was, okay, it has to be in the original unopened container and not otherwise available from a distributor. So in other words, I'm not taking a sale away from an existing product. And, and so like, you know, think about makers for a minute. Makers isn't aged. Makers is always sort of available. So even if I do have an old Makers, probably not going to get to sell it as a vintage because how are you going to show it was not otherwise available from a distributor? Unless it has a tax stamp on it, maybe. Yeah, or something yeah, like that. Yeah. yeah. And I've, I've seen some uh, from Japan that, that have come back that are interesting and so like that. The other thing then was sort of the, the at least registration component of it. So if you're a retailer, so, so what, what the Vintage Spirits bill did is it allows a package retailer to buy from someone who is not in the three-tier system. So that was the first huge change, but they have to document where they bought it from and file that with the ABC. Same for a buy-the-drink retailer. That way you can now go to a bar. The retailer had to show proof of they bought it yeah, or the I'm, person selling had to show proof of where they bought it. I'm thinking, no, it's no, the retailer. No. Oh, okay, gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. The retailer has to show I who they I didn't bought save it. all my receipts for like, the past 10 years of buying. It's like, well, <laughs> it, it, if I had the unlimited liquor allowance at Heaven Hill, <laughs> no, I don't no, have no. a receipt. Well, and a lot of it is <laughs> yeah. like a, an estate, you know? Yeah, yeah. Granddad died and we went down to the garage and, oh my God, we got all this stuff. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So we're hopeful that that, you know, helps stop the counterfeit. Are people counterfeiting? I'm sure, you know, but again, I can't let the criminal act of a third party 
stop a legitimate business. This is probably going to get too in the weeds, and I don't know. It's like if if because Van Winkle and pretty much anything that comes off of a bottling line all has some sort of laser code in, on it. So if you said, well, the twenty. 20 version of Pappy 23 is not actually in distribution. The 2023 version is. So can you use the laser code as that thing that says like, well, this is it actually, it's considered vintage. You're, you're hitting on issues that are, that are uh, solutions that are new. So when we were passing this, that was one of the things, are they laser coating, uh, coating bottles? Are they diamond cutting them? What's going on? Everything pre whatever though has none of that. And so great question. I don't really know the answer to that on Pappy. That was one of the that was obviously the one that would come up a lot. Are you going to allow somebody to sell, you know, because we yeah. never know what year it is, but I think that's probably where they're going with it. Yeah. So as this bill progressed, what were some of the big challenges, whether it was from a retailer, a distributor, or a manufacturer that, do you remember? So the the big ones were the, how were we going to stop counterfeits? And this is where the distributors view their role in the three-tier system as ensuring good product because they're the ones that pick it up from a manufacturer and take it to a retailer. So they keep that chain of custody, if you will. You're now all of a sudden allowing bottles to come in from who knows where. So that that was the biggest hurdle is getting people past that. And it, it was a big fight and, and probably one that would, if we tried to pass it again tomorrow, we'd have that same fight. <laughs> um, the retailers actually kind of liked this one because it was opening up potential inventory for them. Sure. And, and especially in Kentucky, you know, there's yeah, not a lot of them coming. You, yeah, you, but but you we know. don't have a lot of bourbon on the shelves. Right. I mean, yeah, I, people are always like, coming to Kentucky, what rare kind of? I'm like, good luck. <laughs> right. <laughs> Instead, you go to San Diego and yeah. I go to the, you know, the pharmacy there and it's everywhere. So that was a big hurdle. That bill also had some other things in it that people maybe didn't fight on as hard like we allowed. One, one of the big pushes that we always did tried to do while I was there was parody. If beer can do it and wine can do it, why can't bourbon do it or spirits? I mean, alcohol is alcohol is alcohol, right? And and what what is developed in the law though is a lot of leniency toward beer, a little less, but still some with wine, and then liquor no. was always right. Yeah. So so we we fought for fairs and festivals, the ability to go to a fair and festival and have a sampling kind of a thing. Um, that's in that bill. That's also the one where we uh, tried to shut down MGP. Uh, okay, <laughs> go, go on. <laughs> well, that's the one where I didn't we know that was tucked in there. Yeah, it was tucked in there. That's the one that says to say it's Kentucky, it has to be here for you know you have to age it, either distill it or uh, age yeah, it. Yeah. Da, 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 da. So, did you did you know when you did that you were going to create this uh, huge uh, investment model for Kentucky bourbon? <laughs> did not. <laughs> See, that's one of those it's unintended consequences because yeah. right? that role. I, I can tell you a ton of investors who got in because of that role because you you know that KY has right. to be and that's a year and a day and. You know, Bardstown Bourbon probably love that <laughs> Wilderness yeah. Trail and you know Green River and all those. Absolutely, and and that's one where I, th- I think that's why ultimately they brought me into their Hall of Fame, right? Because <laughs> <That's> some, right. <laughs> some of these laws that we passed, you know, that wasn't why I was doing it, but this is where I love the market. You know, let let entrepreneurs do what they're going to do, get the government out of the way, and look what happens. Yeah. And I know you've been a, a big proponent of direct to consumer shipping and stuff like that too, but I think the biggest one. I think that Ryan and I can both agree on is now that you are allowing the manufacturers to sell direct to customers, even through a gift shop and not having to go through a third tier or through a distributor kind of talk about, because I would imagine that that had to have some tension because the t- the way that it was working for a long time is that for anybody that was at a distillery, if they wanted to sell bottles at their gift shop, they would have to sell it to the distributor and buy it back from the distributor to sell it at their gift shop, or there would just be a transfer of paper or something like that. This is the whole bill is like, I feel like your legacy. <laughs> the, what, yeah. It's the, gosh, I'm blanking on the exact bill. What is it? The Oh man, I don't remember the number or the name. We yeah. That one either. <laughs> uh, but the, yeah, that was a, that was a, a really tough one. Cause again, how stupid is it that we are doing this transaction on paper? I mean, the bottles weren't leaving. No one was trucking them anywhere. And they get their 20, 25% just for doing nothing. For literally doing nothing. Now, the justification was, oh, we collect the tax. 
what will the state do without all that revenue? We're like, well, we'll still collect the tax from, from the distiller. From the distiller. You know? <laughs> or were they like, we're here to validate the product? Too. <laughs> <laughs> Legitimately, that's the kind of Oh, really? Yeah, You're yeah, like, yeah. Well, yeah, didn't yeah. you leave the, you're like, up uh, the property? Uh, right. It, it was insane to me. These arguments just were always insane. And you could probably see the look on my face in committee hearings as I'm just like, uh, it was crazy. But the other crazy part is the tax was like, I'm making the number up, the tax was like 11%. And they only had to remit 10% because they got paid for being the tax collector. Mm. And it ended up being a huge amount of money to them. So now go back to if you were were one one of those folks, you want to fight like hell on this bill. That's the last thing you want. So on that one, honestly, again, this is where I think having lawyers there, I did a mediation. I brought everybody to the table. We literally sat in conference rooms, did this over like three or four days. And I said, number one, you have to list all of your problems with this bill. And once you list them, you don't get to make up new ones. So get it on the table now that that we call it moving the goalpost in Frankfurt. Everybody will come in and I'm against the bill because of X. You find a creative way to solve that problem. Oh, well, but now I'm against it because of this. And so I just wanted it all on the table so that we could as adults sit down and see, is there a path? that's going to satisfy everybody's concerns and still get us what we want. Because what we ultimately want is tourists to walk out the door just like, I mean, have you guys done the California wine thing? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's fun. Yeah, you great. go and you taste the wines. I bought and, and way too many wine. Companies. Right. You always, exactly. <laughs> that's how we know if we visit it. Oh, are we in their club? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and, and yet we were stopping that experience, which is what everybody anticipated the experience to be. So I think they all got it. But the real problem, if you're a retailer, so you're, you're, you know, you're coming to Bardstown, you think, oh, there's going to be some good bourbon in Bardstown. Well, he can't get any bourbon. Why can't he get bourbon? Well, is it because it's all being sold out of the gift shop? No, turns out it's not, but that's a good excuse. The reality is there's just, I mean, how many single barrels are there? You know, we're taking a limited quantity product. Yeah, and there's only 180, 200 bottles in those single barrels. Exactly. They, they go very quickly. And then for, don't forget about the rest of the United States because these distributors, oh, they want to be able to give everybody some. And so we just had this real feeling in Kentucky that there was a disproportionate impact on our retailers. And so the retailers were always sort of getting the short end of the stick. And, and I think they probably were, but it wasn't the the distillers doing that to them it was the distributors being able to probably sell it in different markets and make a little more money and can't blame them for that either i'm all for it make your money what i don't like is that it's all forced we'll probably get into it later but we make the least amount of money in Kentucky because of all the taxes all the taxes and, so, yeah, exactly. yeah. and we'll get into that to later I'll, but <laughs> yeah. i, I want to stay on topic with this but but so you know so having everybody sit at the table um, if you look back at that law there were lots of weird quantity limits in it so at the time, this was right as BBC was just a thought. Expansion was just a thought. There were rumors that everybody's going to start making a lot more. So we sort of built it thinking that, okay, this short supply we've got, that problem will be solved in five years or six years. So we drafted the bill to be very limited quantities the first couple of years. Then it ramped up and then it ramped up. So now if you look at the, the new one we did last year, we just even took all that out because it was historical. We don't even need that in the law anymore. But that was a way to get the retailers some comfort that, no, not everything's going to go out the door. But, but then what we learned immediately was, oh, wait a minute. I flew here on a plane. Now, how do I get these things home? Yeah. That's the, that's the big what if there. It, right. So that hopefully, was. Hopefully they're not 140 proof and above too. <laughs> exactly. So that was the next bill we did was the bourbon without borders. Okay. If you buy it at the gift shop, you can then ship it to your house. But then that obviously ran into all sorts of problems. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and every, not, every state's going to be a little different it, there. Yeah, exactly. And so that's when you ultimately get what we finally came up with, with the direct to consumer. So hopefully they can come, they can buy a bottle to gift shop if that's what they want, put it in their suitcase, whatever. But if not, they can go ahead and sign up and we can we can ship some back to them kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, like I said, that I think that was a game changer, and especially for us as, as Ryan and I have been building our own brand and trying to figure out what do we do and even to try to maximize revenue. 
like that is that is a game changer yeah. because it 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 just sucks to just to think that well yeah you've got to pay 20 25% to somebody else to sell it back it's like you can take that money and reinvest it in your business and grow it bigger right and it i think that's it was just it was a pivotal moment in bourbon law and history so uh, kudos to you for for doing all that but you forgot one important piece oh you left out the ndps <laughs> it's only for dsps dude i know man and that was so my last year up there that was my behind the scenes push can we just license ndps and give them the same privileges as distillers yeah and you know we love, don't have we don't have any lobbyists do we? no no <laughs> and, and we, we, have, we know the kda they're like yeah that's cute no, <laughs> yeah right i know but that was kind of the kda's response is well i'm not sure all of our members would like that yeah, yeah. why are they so against it because I, I think we've had this conversation it's like non-distilling producers that's ndps have helped gr- fuel the growth for these distilleries over the years you know like right. if it was luxro with heaven hill or bullet with four roses thousands of brands using Barton, <laughs> you know, NDPs have been an important part of the industry, but it seems like they get kind of left behind in the, and I, and I get it. The distillers have a lot more investment and a lot more jobs create and this and that, but it, it seems like this important part of the piece is left out. We still pay our taxes. And, and, well, and sometimes right. at a higher rate, you know, too, we don't get any benefits, whereas the DSPs get all the benefits. Right. Right. And, and not having some of those retail privileges really hurts. Yeah, that's why I had to go to Moonshine U to get my damn master distillers lot, so I can <laughs> heard, yeah. so I can put in a still at our place so I can get these benefits. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, and and I don't uh, I really don't know the full reason why they're against it, and it's it's going to be interesting because they never wanted to have a distinction between a craft distiller and a heritage distiller. You know, yeah. they they kind of wanted to make it just whatever one can do, the other can do, and I feel like the NDPs are just right in there and ought to. For the growth of this business, I, I'm sort of disappointed that they're not pushing more to help us. Yeah. Um, and that's, and we met with the KDA and that, their response was, well, you know, and I told them all the hurdles that we're having to go yeah. through just to have the, and they're like, but yeah, you, don't you think everybody should have to like, you know, put some skin in the game or earn it? And I'm like, yeah, but that's not a free market, <laughs> you know? Right. It's like, let the market decide, you know, if some Joe Schmo wants to start a brand and open up a gift shop, the market will say if his product's worth buying or not, not going through all these, you know, legal hoops and whatnot to yeah, have yeah. to drop 50 grand on a still just to, to make a bare that. minimum of 600 yes, gallons. Exactly. To, you know. Exactly. Yeah. I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see. And, you know, everybody's ramped up production right now. I mean, you know, Heaven Hill's putting in a new place. Diageo's opening a new place. Uh, Willett's putting in a new place. Those big brands are going to have a lot and, and they've all sort of quit selling into the secondary market. So I, I think we're going to, it's going to be interesting over the next five years to watch what happens to the thousands of brands that are out there. Some I think are going to collapse because they're not going to have source. True. You know, very true. So the other thing that you, and that's, I think that's in front of us is the Kentucky taxation of alcohol <laughs> and the barrel, barrel bourbon taxation task force. The and I think page slide deck. Yes. Not- but this is, if I recall, this is, you're still in the news for a lot of this. I got a, a thing from, I think drinks or some sort of spirits newsletter this past week. And it still said Chad McCoy in here and started talking about yeah. the bourbon barrel taxation. So kind of talk about what this task force was attempting or, and is attempting to do. Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point-of-sale system you can trust, or is it uh, a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. And with Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers inline and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. And you can get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash bourbon, all lowercase, and go to shopify.com slash bourbon to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash bourbon. If you're anything like me, then you can't get enough about bourbon. 
And that's why I'm a subscriber to Bourbon Plus magazine. Bourbon Plus is a quarterly publication that tells the stories from the heart of bourbon, the farmers who grow the grain, the distillers who labor over the process, and the people like you and me who raise their glasses to celebrate it all. Subscribe to Bourbon Plus magazine today at bourbonplus.com, that's P-L-U-S.com, and use code PURSUIT at checkout for $5 off your subscription. So the other thing that you, and that's, I think that's in front of us, is the Kentucky Taxation of Alcohol and the Barrel, <laughs> Barrel Bourbon Taxation Task Force. The and 50s I think, page slot dick. Yes. But this is, if I recall, this is you're still in the news for a lot of this. I got a, a thing from, I think, Drinks or some sort of spirits newsletter this past week, and it still said Chad McCoy in here, and started talking about yeah. the bourbon barrel taxation. So kind of talk about what this task force was attempting or, and is attempting to do. Yeah, and this this is a this is one uh, um, I kind of went out with everybody hating me in my even in my hotel. Which, you know, it's politics, <laughs> gonna, whatever. Gonna, just <laughs> leave, drop, leave, drop leave the mark. Yeah, just, like, drop the grenade and run. It's right. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> so so Kentucky is the only jurisdiction in the world, the world, not just the United States, that taxes spirits resting in a barrel. And what's interesting is. Even for Kentucky, it's the only industry that we tax what I'm going to call work in process. You know, we don't tax Ford on the trucks that they're making over there. We wait till they're done and the sale happens. I've and, seen them all waiting for their, their chips at the Kentucky Speedway. They're just kind of sitting around there. Right, exactly. And, and, and I don't think they're getting taxed. I think they're just <laughs> hanging out. So one of the, one of the things that, that has happened, and you guys know this better than anybody, is this industry obviously exploded and people probably beyond anybody's wildest expectations. Even the people that thought yeah. it was going to go so, big didn't. It's still from hard for me to wrap my head around. Yeah, because we grew up around and no one gave a shit yeah, know, exactly. for our whole life. Yeah. So all of a sudden we have this revenue stream that was really, really small, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars a year from taxing barrels. But now we have how many barrels in the state? Oh, 11 million. I, I think there's almost, they, they said, I think it was like two and a half barrels per person living in Kentucky now. And it there's four a, and a half million people in the state. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, you're, it's a, it's a huge number and it's just a hockey stick as far as the, the, the volume. So we're taxing the heck out of these barrels as they sit there and every year they sit there, the angel share dissipates. And so we have less and less product that gets more valuable and more valuable. So the amount of tax paid on a like per cup is just, it goes up and up and up and up. So really wanted to see if there was a way to stop this. And here's, here's the disconnect people are having. I truly believe in my heart that if we don't change this, we are disincentivizing growth in the industry, not from makers and beam and heaven hill, but from the guy we don't know about yet. Because if you wanted to start a bourbon place, where do you want to be? You want to be in Kentucky. Okay, but wait a minute. The climate in Indiana, it's pretty similar. Pretty similar. Yeah, climate yeah. in Tennessee, pretty close. Yeah. And let's yeah, see, Virginia. can you get there on I-65? Oh yeah, you can. Okay, so what, what am I getting by being in Kentucky when it's going to take two years to put my distillery in? I'm already bleeding money. I'm going to start making my product, and, and after two years of making it, they're going to start taxing me. Before I've sold a single thing, they are taxing me. Why would I want to start there? And we had lots of distilleries that made that calculation, the Firestone Distillery down in Texas. They looked hard at Kentucky, but then decided, well, wait a minute. If we're going to put $60 million in, we can save ourselves a ton of money by not being in Kentucky. If we can convince people that our bourbon is as good a product. And so what has happened now is Kentucky has dropped. We, we used to be like ninth in number of distilleries, and now we're like 15th. We used to have 43% of the distilling jobs in the country. Now we have like 30. This is a bad trajectory, especially for somebody who cares about Nelson County. I'm on the bourbon trail. We're the bourbon capital of the world. I want all of the people coming here. I want every little distillery to pop up in Nelson County, not pop up wherever they're going to be in Indiana, in Tennessee, in West Virginia. And so now you see um, in this bourbon barrel taxation thing, I, I had them, 
I had them print this off and put it in our, our materials. The day before our first hearing. Oh, I actually, I remember that. So what we're looking at here is actually something that is from our buddy, John Little over at Smooth Ambler. And I remember seeing this image and it says, Smooth Ambler, bourbon is bigger than Kentucky. And, and, And then one is from the state of Texas that says the state of bourbon is changing. And it's got this. The, it's got a picture of balcones on there. Yeah. 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 And if then you look you had, at, if you uh, look at a map of like, I was just, when the craft, I can't remember their the, the, association. The ADI. Yes. They put out a report of like the craft distilling and like how many distilleries are where and how much. And Texas is like exploding with craft distilleries. Oh, yeah. And California and New York and everywhere else is exploding. And Kentucky just has like, I don't know, 19 or something. And, you know? and that's my point. If we don't get in front of this, we will lose the bourbon trail. You'll have a Kentucky part of the trail, but you're also going to have, just like in California for the wine stuff, you're going to have another little area out there, and then you're going to have one down in Texas. And pretty soon we won't be that sort of North Star beacon that we could be. But but every time I say, we got to do this to help the industry, everybody's like, what? The industry that's having record growth and record profits? And I'm like, Yeah. This really isn't about those guys. Those guys are fine. What about the new people? And I swear you all, this is... Uh, it, yeah, but still, even for the big distilleries, it's like... Oh, it would be a lot of money. It'd be sure. a lot of money, but I mean, you. I think you could point to all the investment and jobs and everything that's just been created, the tourism and everything. It's like, it's like there needs to be some kind of ceiling on this, like... It's right. like, why are, it's like, we're going to tax basketball next or horse <laughs> racing. You know, it's like, why but, are we cannibalizing what's working here? And that's unfortunately to me, that is something Kentucky has excelled at. Uh, when you look at the history of this state, every time we have something that looks like it's going to bring in money, we tax the crap out of it. Coal, horse racing. You know, when, when I was young kid, horse racing was only in Kentucky. And now we spend a ton of time in the legislature trying to draft laws, just like we're doing for the bourbon industry, to bring it back, bring it back, bring that back. That is our signature industry. It needs to stay here. And and yet we just seem to always do the wrong thing. Gosh. <laughs> just drives me crazy. Did you have any involvement or is there any discussions around like just even not on the, the ad valorem tax? I think that's what it's called, the bar- you know, the barrel tax, but um, just like taxes, that 11%. I don't even know what that tax is wholesale called. tax. So the you wholesale got the, tax. Got the wholesale you know, sales tax, and you got the excise tax. Because like, both at the as a brand, like you know, we're in ten states. Kentucky, we make the least amount of money on because we get taxed so much here. Yeah, and you know, and we're only one of two states that does that wholesale sales tax. Yeah, and so when you start to look at direct ship laws, that becomes a real problem because you the way the situs of the tax works now, people outside of Kentucky are having to figure out our tax structure. And they're like, wait a minute, that's no, never mind. I'm not even gonna fool with that. You know, it's it's stopping wine from coming in, it's stopping beer of the month clubs. It's it's just horrible. And it's really interesting because that tax, so one of those taxes is on volume, and one of those taxes is on value. And there then becomes a disconnect, even with our big distillers, it might be beneficial for a high priced whiskey, but it might have a really horrible impact on a low priced whiskey. And the reality of the world is, you know, we all sit around and talk about those high priced whiskeys, but more bourbon is sold at a lower price point than a higher price point. Under $40 ones. I mean, when I see this, I mean, this is, it's a, it's a huge investment of time that's going into this as well. How has the reception been? Are people too short-sighted and they think, well, I mean, Kentucky already produces 95% of the world's bourbon. We're fine. Nothing's going to happen. All we care about is the big six. Is there, is there a short-sightedness to that? Is there other people? Because I know you, you said you're looking out for the smaller producers. And of course, Ryan and I, we don't have lobbyists. So how, does, <laughs> how do we you know, try and put a bigger microphone to something like that as well? Yeah. So l- let me back up though and tell you one thing so why why are people not with me on this and the reason is where the money goes oh yeah it's all the the, the roads and schools or something well and this, so this particular tax is is a weird one at the state level we don't get much money from it the state probably wouldn't care if this just went away unfortunately it's about 30 million dollars 
to 17 counties, Nelson County obviously being one of them. And in Nelson County, it's about, you know, 3 million, I think I don't have it in front of me, to our school system. So all of the sudden, if you just went to Nelson County school system and jerked 3 million out of the budget, holy crap, you can't do that. It's also our fire districts. It's also our libraries. It's also our county governments. So there are so many little taxing districts in addition to the state. And this particular one is a local revenue tax. And so the, the problem we've come up with or that we're running into is how can we replace that money? We really can't just not fund the schools, right? I mean, sure, nobody. But, you know, five years ago or 10 years ago, they, they I guess maybe they've just gotten too comfortable, you know, receiving that, but it's like, yeah. can they not see that, you know, like, okay, we were doing this. We couldn't anticipate the growth that we're, you know, it's like, it's, we got to make a they, happy they had, medium. They had, a, they had a couple hundred thousand dollars like, that was in the school system. And, but now and it's my argument would be, what is Nelson County doing to attract more distilleries and make it more business friendly? Because now distilleries aren't going there because they make it such so hard to be in there. Right. Right. And that's, and I mean, the freaking sidewalk should be made out of gold and there should be more, uh, it should be easier for people to make investments for tourism and this and that. And it's not, it's a lot of red tape and it's like, they're just in there milking it and not doing anything back for the bourbon industry. Yeah. And, and then, so let me give you one other piece to this and you know, those stupid little slide puzzles that this, in my head, this, all of this that we're talking about, the bourbon tourism, all these taxes, the school systems, there's one other problem, and it has to do with the Constitution in Kentucky. We don't allow local governments to tax on a lot of things. It's in our Constitution that they're limited to goofy things like insurance premiums and, you know, you, do you have an occupational tax you have to pay here? Yeah. yeah, capped at something. And so unlike when you go to Nashville, you know, you go down to Nashville and you, you get a hotel room and it's a $200 hotel room. And in the morning, it's a $400 bill. And you're like, what the hell happened <laughs> like, Wait a minute. You know? Sometimes <laughs> get parking and yeah. hotel tax. And yeah. Uh, just all who, who the- ordered that movie on? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so in, until we, as a state, literally stomach changing our constitution to allow places to tax in a different way, so that we can fund the programs that everybody says are good programs, we've got a problem. Yeah. And when you just take a snapshot like this and say, okay, we want to get rid of that barrel tax. Ah, we can't do that. Well, how about you let gambling come here instead of everyone, <laughs> right? you know, come, going to <laughs> Indiana. How, I had a friend literally last weekend, we met, our kids were at a birthday party in Nulu. He's like, I'm going to run, run across, across the, the bridge, bridge, park and make a bet on the NFL games and drive back. And yeah. it's like, what the fuck? <laughs> Truly. Our state is so stupid. It's so stupid. And, 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 you know, we don't have, I bet we didn't have 26 votes for it last time. I mean, we look at it every year. It's on our, you know, it's the number one thing leadership. I was in leadership. This is one of those, our number one goals. Let's at least get sports. What, what is that? Cause the, I think the story people, cause it seems like there's a disconnection between Louisville, Lexington, you know, Northern Kentucky and the rest of the state. And, I guess some people would say, oh, the people in power and the Kentucky, you know, legislation are from, you know, religious or, you know, this demographic that really are advocating against it, even though, and they're just doing it to get reelected. But even though it's like better for the state as a whole, they're not necessarily doing it <laughs> just so, to get reelected. Yeah. Yeah. So that's you, the argument I hear. And, and it's not an incorrect argument. I'll, I'll throw a little nuance on it. You have some people who are definitely doing what they think they need to do to get reelected. But you honestly have some people who morally are opposed to it. Okay. You know, that just generally, genuinely, that's their belief system. I don't have a problem with that. If that's your belief system, fine. But I, I can't stand when we poll this like sports betting. We, we did a poll across the whole state. It polled 80%. Like nobody's against it. So I don't know what pocket you're from where you think your people want you to be against it because your people aren't against it. Your people are driving to Indiana and going to the casinos for crying out loud. And yet we can't get them to vote. I look at how many preachers versus how many lawyers are in the legislature. And that's a pretty good indication of what we're going to get passed. <laughs> oh, wow. I wonder what that ratio is. <laughs> it's, it's horrible right now. <laughs> and nothing against preachers. Love them. But, but if they're getting in the way of economics, and again, I get it. If you've got that, if that's your moral core, fine. But 
I don't know. Kind one of a, one the, question I get, yeah. you know, being kind of tied into the bourbon industry, a lot of people ask me about um, cannabis and legalization of marijuana. And like, they'll be like, oh, the bourbon companies are opposed to it. You know, this or that. They're lobbying against it because it shows like, you know, they've proven in other states that it reduces the amount of liquor that's sold and this right. and that. Is that... Does that go on? I know this never. is not directly tied to bourbon, but no, it is. I uh, get that. Asked that a lot. I've never had a a lobbyist for the bourbon industry talk about marijuana at all, not even once. Gotcha. So. I'm just looking at ways to, to replace that, you know, that barrel tax or whatever. Oh, no, <laughs> yeah. I'm with you, man. And, you know, <laughs> I, I voted for marijuana uh, probably more than anybody in the General Assembly because my committee had it. And well, so, and it's good for Nelson County. It's a perfect it would place be good to grow for it. Nelson County. That's right. <laughs> Kentucky is the best climate to grow that stuff. Right. And yeah. And, and that was unfortunately going to be some, you know, bastardized medical marijuana. It wasn't even going to be recreational, which should surprise no one. We don't have alcohol allowed in every county. Still. Still. Yeah. So why do you think we're going to allow do, pot? But do those counties, do they receive, I guess, the, the barrel tax? Obviously not the barrel tax money, because you said that goes to the specific counties, but like the the wholesale tax, does that get dispersed evenly throughout the state? or So if, it, in, if it's in, a dry county, do they benefit off of a wet county? Yeah, in, in the sense that it all goes into the general fund, and yeah. we use the general fund to pay for everything. Absolutely. And they even benefit on the barrel tax because the, um, of how the SEEK formula works. Another one of those puzzle pieces that needs to be involved in the big conversation is how we fund our schools. So the state guarantees we're going to pay $4,000 per pupil. Well, unless you live in Anchorage, because the property values in Anchorage are so high that the taxes are, are already incredible. That school system's already funded. They don't need state money, so they don't get it. But if you're in, you know, Owsley County or something, yep. We're going to have you there. You don't have enough property tax revenue to do right. anything. So we're not going to give you four. We're going to give you eight. It is literally an Excel spreadsheet formula that probably goes on for 50 oh columns. Don't don't fat thumb that one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so that's that's another factor in this whole, how are we going to address these taxes and things that's got to be looked at? Oof. That was a lot to take on right there. <laughs> I feel like we're just scratching the surface. I know. <laughs> I know. And, and this is, it's been eye-opening for me. And I, I think a lot of listeners are going to really, and just probably just eat this episode up. So I, I'm, I'm so glad you're able to kind of come on here, but as a, as a consumer, I mean, right now you, you're not a part of this anymore, but there's, there's so much stuff that's out of the hands of the consumer because it's either big money that's spent from the manufacturers, the distributors, retail associations, lobbyists, your government. But how does how does something that's just a yeah a consumer? Like how do they how do they make a change or how do they? So so honestly, you you guys, I, I mean this. You have probably the bigger voice. It's just that nobody does it. So straight up, do you know who your state rep is? Uh, right. <laughs> so, so it was Chad McCoy. <laughs> Went so, out bars. so get to know them, like call them up and, and let them know where you are on this issue and ask, Hey man, what can I do to help? What, you know, cause look, a lot of us feel this way. And, and what's weird is as a, as a state rep, you try to get out in the community. You try to, uh, I'm going to really get geeky here. We don't have a democracy in America. We have a republic. And, and the difference for that is I'm not just taking the poll of everybody in my county and voting the majority. The county put me up to vote the way I feel. Now, I care about what how the rest of the county feels, but there are some issues where, yeah, you all have to vote me out next time because you didn't like the way I voted because I'm still going to vote that way. I still believe this. And it's important, though, for the only things we ever hear from people or when we get these emails and nine times out of 10, there's some automated junk that some lobbyist has put together. I will literally make a rule and just have them go to the trash can because a lot of times I used to, I would write back, Oh, Steve, thanks so much for writing me on that. And, and, and then my buddy would be like, dude, I didn't write you on that. What are you talking about? <laughs> and so you can't even trust what you're getting in your inbox, but get to know them and call them up because I had some people that would, you know, on some of these issues, call me up. Come talk to me about that. Next time you're in town, I've got some questions. I've got some concerns. You can make a huge difference, truly. What about like outside of Kentucky, you know, with, I guess in particular, like direct to consumer, how do we get other states to work with us or embrace, yeah. like, you know, to where we can push it past, was it at 16 or maybe it's not even that many, 16. How many states are we allowed to? 
the last I heard it was seven, but I've seven. Okay, yeah, 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 it's it's tiny. So those states have to adopt that law, right? So the big thing we need to do now is sort of coalesce, if you will, on a model law, because every state is going to be different. But how much better is it for business world if we're all the same? So in the regular business world, non-alcohol, we have something called the Uniform Commercial Code, the UCC. You might have heard about a UCC Mm -hmm. filing or something like that. The reason it's called the Uniform Commercial Code is it was a model law that you then go around to all the states and say, hey, if you adopt this and we adopt this, this will be good for both of us. And so there are conferences that your legislators go to every year where we look at model laws. And one of the things the KDA and Discus were really actively trying to do was make our direct ship of spirits the model law so that we could get everybody on the same page. You get weird constitutional issues, not only with prohibition stuff, but also taxation. Whose taxes is it? When, when a California wine ships to Kentucky, where did that sale happen? Did it happen in California or did it happen in Kentucky? And, and if it happened in Kentucky, then we need to have that wholesale sales tax, that excise tax, you know, all those other different taxes go on it and, and vice versa. Figuring those out was horribly complicated. Uh, will probably be the subject of lawsuits. It's easy fodder for other members of the three-tier system that don't want direct ship to attack it and come in and scream it's unconstitutional and and gum it up in courts and blah, blah, blah. So the the more uniformity we can get. So I think, you know, for every state that, that has distilling, if they can go to their legislature, and I'm, I can't stress enough a personal relationship with whoever is in charge and, and, and there's nothing, it, it's great to hear from folks, you know, when you're in that role, I want to know what, what do you guys think? What can I help you with? And so if you could get everybody out there that, that consumes bourbon and wants to be able to buy online to call up their local state representative and say, Hey, Kentucky's got this. If we adopt it now, we can, we can ship back and forth. And guess what? That means we'll be able to buy Tito's. They'll <laughs> sell Tito's here. You know, there's a benefit to everybody if we do that. I love it. This has been a, a fantastic episode. I'm sure our listeners probably got a lot of great information. So, Chad, I want to yeah. say thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me. It's been a lot of fun. No, I wish Appreciate we had a four-hour episode. <laughs> no okay. one wishes that. <laughs> no, I know. That's, that's true. Maybe just me. Well, we'll we'll see how this this bill continues to progress. and might have to have you come on for a, a follow-up on it as well Absolutely. at some point. But. Again, thank you for coming on the show. If people want to learn more about you or follow you or get on your calendar, is there a way that people want to be able to do that? Or you want to kind of stay a little hit? No, no, no. I mean, uh, good golly, I guess just look me up on the internet. Um, you know, <laughs> I've got a calendar out there. You can make an appointment. <laughs> I think it's on Calendly. <laughs> well, here you go. So you make an appointment with him. Uh, yeah. Don't make an appointment with us. Right. So and thank you for all you've done for the industry. Yeah. Uh, thanks. It's been a. It's a team effort. We've came a long a lot way. Of people that work in, on it. Yeah, sure. Uh, absolutely. But it's we've made a lot of progress, and there's still a lot of work to go but uh we, we definitely heading in the right direction yeah. so we've got to get our ndps up that's, yeah that's that, the next big one that's our that's our kind of uh work or our, our pitchforks <laughs> yes, like, yes but uh nobody wants to really listen to us <laughs> but uh <laughs> now the, i'm gonna call it i'm gonna call our state representative after this see if he i, I won't bring him a coffee but i'll just say there you hey, go there you go yeah well cool well make sure you get on chad's calendar but with us <laughs> you can follow us on all the socials at bourbon pursuit and if you like the show Share it with a friend. Share it with everybody that lives in Kentucky so they know what's going on in regards to bourbon law because I think this is a fantastic eye-opening kind of experience for them too. But with that, cheers, everybody. We'll see you next week. Toodles. Toodles.